Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. Zechariah chapter number 14 and verse 9. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. And in that day shall there be one Lord and his name one. And his name one. One Lord and his name one. Praise God. Aren't you thankful that you know the name of Jesus? Let's lift up our hands and let's praise the Lord and thank Him right now. I thank you, God, for your goodness, your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for your word, the revelation of the power of the name of Jesus. And I pray that you would allow the word of God to help folks in this place tonight in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. I want to preach about the power of the name of Jesus. The power. Teach you, preach to you a little bit about the power of the name of Jesus. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. There's a number of bases that have been used to determine a person's surname. And the surname that we use here in America, sometimes it's different according to tradition in other countries, as you might have recognized from Brother Tamiskin being here. His name is Tamiskin Solomon. His father's name is Solomon, but they used his father's first name as their, what we would call, surname. And uh, that is pretty typical, and if you study back throughout history, that is not uncommon. But uh, there's a lot of things that go into a name, and surnames were derived from different things, and then passed on, of course, within a family from generation to generation. And sometimes it was just characteristics of a person that would determine uh, their name, such as small or short or long or longly. And then uh, a location many times where a person lived, the location where they were, where they could be found, was the influence of what their name would become. Uh, You hear the name brook or hill or rivers, and this is all dealing with locations. And then, of course, we know that an occupation could be used to uh, give a person a family name or a surname. And for an example, it would be Cook or or maybe Smith, uh, like a blacksmith or uh, other types of silversmith, uh, goldsmith, whatever. Uh, if I was going to be a smith, I'd want to be a goldsmith. Amen. I don't know. We've got a lot of Smiths in this church. We're blessed with a lot of Smiths in this church. And so uh, maybe you've thought about what what type of, uh, was it a blacksmith? What is it, a silversmith? What, what type of a Smith was it that gave me my name? And then there's patriarchal reasons that names are sometimes passed on. Uh, John's son, this is John's son. And so we come up with Johnson, isn't that fascinating? You guys are learning something here tonight. 
Robinson, Stevenson, and so on. But because God had infinite characteristics, he's strong, he's mighty, he's loving, he's caring, he's merciful, he's long-suffering, he's gentle, he's goodness, all of these things, and his location is all space. The psalmist said in 139, 7 through 10, whether shall I go from thy spirit or whether shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. And if I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, no matter if I go into the sky and fly as high as I possibly can, or I go and dive into the sea and go to the depths of it, even there shall thy hand lead me. And thy right hand shall hold me. In other words, he fills all space. And he also is in all time. He's he's in all all time. He fills all time. Psalms 90 and 2 says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or even thou hast formed the earth and the world and even the everlasting even from everlasting to everlasting thou art there he's creator he's provider he's king and uh, we could just continue on talking about all the different characteristics and things that god is he was elohim in creation and Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, the most high in ascension according to the prophetic passage in Psalms 92 and 1, almighty in blessing, Genesis chapter 49 and 25, Jehovah Jireh, which means provider in Genesis 22 and 14, Jehovah Rapha, which is healer, Exodus 15 and 26, Jehovah Nisi which uh, is God of war in Judges, or in Exodus, rather, chapter 17 and verse 15. Jehovah Shalom, which means peace in Judges, chapter 6 and verse 24. Uh, Jehovah Rohi, uh, which means shepherd, Psalms 23 and 1. Jehovah Shammah, which means being here, which is in Ezekiel 48, verse 35. And so on and on and on, no matter uh, what the need is, what the situation is, uh, no matter what a person was faced with, if they were serving the Lord, if they were endeavoring to live uh, with their faith and their belief and their trust in God, He could be whatever they needed Him to be at that particular moment. So no wonder why the writer of Hebrews says he spoke in times past to Old Testament prophets in sundry times, which means at many points, and diverse manners, which means in many different ways. So in many different points and places, in many different ways, uh, he spoke to these prophets and described to them uh, who... God was and who Jesus, when he came to this earth, uh, he was going to be the image of that God. 
And that's really what Hebrews is trying to tell us. He's trying to tell us that the God of the Old Testament, the things that God uh, was to His people in the Old Testament, we have a better covenant. We have a better revelation. We have a better understanding with Jesus Christ. You've heard me say it before. If there's one word that could encapsulate the book of Hebrews, it would be the word better. And that's what the writer's trying to convey here is that what you and I have, what we possess, is better than what they had. It was great for them, but it's even more wonderful for us. And so the psalmist in his description, and I think I mentioned this last week, how that the psalmist was used. It's, it's amazing how many prophetic psalms that there are. Many times people, and I'm talking about messianic psalms is what they call them, pro, Uh, prophecies about the coming Messiah, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to this earth that is revealed in the Psalms. So uh, if you didn't get it in Isaiah and you didn't get it in Jeremiah and Ezekiel and all the other uh, prophets, if you didn't understand it and get it and you didn't get the picture of it in earlier books of the Old Testament, Psalms will, will reveal to you that the Messiah is getting ready to come. And there's so many foretellings in the book of Psalms of things that is to come. I mean, you got David in even Psalms 51, which is that repentance prayer. He's talking about, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. He's talking about something that he really fully, I don't believe at that point, totally understood and had a grasp of, but he had a little bit of insight. He had a little bit of taste of it. And he experienced mercy above the law himself He deserved to die for the things that he had done. But God showed him mercy really while he still lived under the law. So there's a lot of things that we see through the book of Psalms. And one of them is we see a lot of Psalms dealing with the name. The name. It doesn't tell us what that name is yet. But it's telling us that there's going to be a name that is going to bring these kind of attributes. And number one is the name brings joy. Psalms 5 and 11 says, Let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee. I'm going to tell you, if you've been baptized in the name of Jesus, there ought to be a certain amount of joy that is manifest in your life. I said there ought to be a certain amount of joy that a Christian possesses through being baptized in the name of the Lord. For our hearts shall rejoice all the day, and in thy righteousness shall they be exalted, Psalms 89, 16. So there's rejoicing in knowing the name of the Lord. Praise God. The name brings praise and thanksgiving. I will praise the name of God with song, and I will magnify him with thanksgiving, Psalms 69 and 30. I'm going to tell you, when you got a revelation of the power of the name of Jesus, And you have an understanding of just how incredible it is to be able to pray and to ask things of God in that name, that name of Jesus, and have the understanding of that name. And you call on that name. There's just something about that that ought to cause you to want to praise and thank Him that when I call on the name, amen, I know who he is. I know whom I'm invoking. I know who I'm calling into this situation. I know that he has the power. He has the authority. He has the dominion to help me in this situation. And then that name brings victory according to the psalmist. 
Through thee will I push down our enemies. And through thy name will I tread them under that rise up against us. I'm going to tell you there's power in the name. The name of Jesus to have victory in your life. We don't sometimes use that or understand that or live in that to the degree that we should. But when you know and have an understanding and revelation of the power of the name of Jesus and the victory that it can bring in your life, fear has to go. Amen. Uh, worries and doubts, they, they have to go. They, in, according to this verse of Scripture, they can be pushed down. Strongholds in your life can be pushed down. Things that seem so formidable in your life and seems like they can never be overcame. They can never, ever, uh, you can never get around them. They're, they're, so, they're so great. They're such a, an obstacle. I, I can never overcome this. I'm going to tell you through the power of the name of Jesus. I've heard of people that were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus that were addicts and alcoholics or, or uh, addicted to nicotine or addicted to some other thing in this life. But once they were baptized, they said, when I come up in the name of, after being baptized in the name of Jesus, those cravings, those desires, those things that I used to, used to long for and used to want, I don't want them anymore. Because uh, I have power and victory in the name of Jesus. But that's not just for conversion. That's something that every child of God in this room needs to understand. And you will have to use at one point or another in your Christian experience. Because you're going to confront a real devil. Full grown. Amen. You're, you're going to confront, you know, uh, new converts. Uh, you know, the devil, he, he's, he's good at what he does. I'm not going to say he's good. He's just good at what he does. He is good at what he does. You think he picks on saints as soon as they... It, it isn't usually his modus operandi to pick on saints as soon as they leave a Holy Ghost church service where all of heaven fell and they got good and renewed in the Holy Ghost and they got victory in their life. No, it's not usually then. He usually waits a little while. Let's let's life kind of take the edge off. Let's the boss on Monday morning who's grumbled all the way because he spilt coffee on himself when he went through McDonald's and he's mad, got a stain on his shirt, and he's aggravated, so he decides he's going to take it out on his employees, and you just happen to be the first one he sees, and he starts, or she sees, it, you know, it doesn't have to be a, doesn't have to be a him. It could be a her. And, and work your motor over. Dress you down. You've got no real recourse. You just have to grin and bear it. And after that, then, then there's something else that, that goes wrong. Maybe you go out to go to lunch and, and you, you've left your dome light on and your battery run down. And, uh, or you walked out and you saw you have a flat. And you say, oh, what else? could go wrong today. Well, you know what? You say that and something else can. Generally been my experience, it can get worse. <laughs> it's like one old fellow said, said, you can make this worse. Well, you can in life make things worse by your attitude, the way you handle things and your reaction to things, the way you respond to things. So uh, that happens and, and then you go and you go to the restaurant, finally maybe get there to 
get some lunch or maybe you go, go through a, a carry-out place or a drive-through and, and uh, you ordered one thing when you, you didn't look in the bag before you pulled out and you got back to work and you found out you got something totally different. That's never happened to you. That only happens to me. And, uh, you know, decide. I used to have a thing. I really, we really, uh, Popeye's chicken. I like, if I'm going to go through a drive-thru, I like Popeye's chicken. I'm a preacher, you know. You got to like chicken if you're a preacher. That's part of the, you know, that comes with the job description. And so, uh, you know, I like chicken. So I, I they used to have this, I think they still do, Mardi Gras sauce. Well, you, they, they I don't know why, uh, Mardi Gras sauce, if you don't order certain types of chicken, they don't want to give you Mardi Gras sauce. You've got to have uh, chicken fingers, you know, and that's the only thing they are used to. That's the only thing they'd give it out with. I said, well, you know, I kind of like it with every, you know, chicken's chicken to me. Fried chicken's fried chicken. So I said, you know, I'd like some, well, that's a quarter container, little thing. And uh, I paid it a few times. And then I got to noticing, you know, I had a six-inch deep deal of ketchup down there in the bottom where they put all those packets of ketchup. I said, hey, could I trade you maybe, you know, three dozen packets of this ketchup for a one pack of that Mardi Gras sauce? It seemed like a good deal to me. I mean, you know, this ketchup probably had to cost as much as at least two or three of them could have cost as much. And you don't, you give this stuff away like it's nothing and then you want to charge me 25 I, they, I think they've stopped all of that and it may be because of me so the next time you drive through there thank me when you get some Mardi Gras sauce but anyway and, 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 and you, you go through all of that in your day and then that's when the devil comes is when you've faced all of those things and dealt with all of those things that's when he attacks that's when he comes not to mention all the stresses and the problems and finances and family and all of those, those uh, challenges that sometimes can come that are really indicative with anybody. Nobody's exempt from life. We all have to experience a certain amount of things in life. If you, if you live and breathe in this earth, there's going to be some obstacles and things. And the devil... He's wise enough in this way to take advantage of those things. He's wise enough in this way uh, to, to use those as his doors of entry, if you will. He waits until you have a difficulty or a problem, and then that's when he comes in and tries to get involved with, with causing you to take it a little bit further with your attitude or, or to get a bad spirit or someone does something that maybe you, I mean, rightfully so, did not deserve. But nevertheless, uh, your response to it again is key to whether or not you're going to overcome that thing. And so it's very vital that we, the Bible says, don't be ignorant of his devices. Don't be ignorant of his devices, but be aware of that. And neither, it said, neither give place to the devil. I'm going to tell you, he'll, he'll take up as much space and occupy as much space in your life as you allow him to. But you, as it were, as a child of God, need to have posted territory. You know what posted territory is? That means no trespassing. And if you're going to have any effect with the law, you're going to have to have, you know, if you don't have a posted area, then people don't know 
that they can't enter there. And so the first thing that they want to know, did you have any signage up that told them that they could not trespass? Told the trespasser that they were not welcome. And I think it's important with our actions, with our prayer life, with our faithfulness to the house. That's You know what we're doing? We're putting some signage up that the devil can read by our actions because he's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. He cannot read your thoughts as God can. But he can be a student of your actions. And when you do certain things or don't do certain things, he takes note of that. When you come to church and you're not involved and you're not engaged and you're not praying and you're not worshiping and you're not really open to the Word of God, if he can keep you distracted and he can keep you doing something else, then he understands by studying your habits that you are vulnerable. And that's when he's going to launch his attack against you. I think that's why it's important when you come to the house of God, whether or not you feel like it or not, you do your best and put forth your best effort that I am coming here to worship. I'm coming here to show God how much I love Him and appreciate Him, if for no other reason to let the devil know this is no trespassing. You can't come in. You're not going to be able to get my spirit askew. You're not going to be able to get my attitude off. I I want you to know that I come to church meeting business. I may not feel good. I may have had a rough day, but there's one thing I am going to do. I'm going to put forth my best efforts. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So it's important. It is important. And the name of the Lord brings victory. Also, the name of the Lord brings power and deliverance because he has set his love upon me. Therefore, will I deliver him. This is the Lord speaking through The writer, I will set him on high because he had known my name. Psalms 9, 14. So as we ascend the revelatory stairs through the scripture to the summit or the apex of the meaning of the name. The Bible tells us in Philippians 2, 9 through 11. It says, wherefore God hath or God also hath highly exalted him. And given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. That that pretty much covers it all, right? He's Lord over everything. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Today we don't need to pray to Elohim to get deliverance. We don't pray to El Shaddai for our victory. We don't pray to Adonai for our healing. We don't pray to Jehovah for or using those names to pray for our provision. Everything we need, whether it's healing, deliverance, provision, protection, victory, whatever it is, is all in the name of Jesus. The Bible said whatsoever you do in word and in deed, do it in the name of the Lord. Praise God. Colossians 2 and 9, uh, uh, you know, it's a a one God scripture, and I know we use it all the time. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him. Colossians 1.15 tells us, 
He is the image. Everybody say, He's the image. He is the image of the invisible God. God is a spirit. He's the image of an invisible God. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 says, For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in what? The face, the face or the image of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 19, To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. To wit, God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. So everything culminates into the name of Jesus. I quoted it, and and, uh, you've heard it quoted many times. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. This is the same name that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost when he said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for remission. That means pardoned. That means abated, stopped. Sin, its progression has stopped in your life for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. This is what he preached. And then, and we see just a little while later, that this this is being, we call it the Acts of the Apostles, or better way to say it is actions of the Apostles. This is, they're doing what the Lord told them or commanded them to do. This is, this is church history. This is what is happening. And what they're preaching, this gives us actual sermons that they preached in interaction with people that they preached to and how they baptized, how they preached to them, how they testified to them how they led them, how they, how they directed them, how they handled church disputes, how they handled other things, how they dealt with possession, demon possession of people. All those things is in the book of Acts, right? And so in Acts chapter 8, we see, you know, Peter preached on the day of Pentecost that this is going to start here in Jerusalem, and then it's going to spread to Judea and Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. I don't know how much he really understood that or even perhaps realized what he was saying because uh, he had doubts about it when the Lord dealt with him that it was going to the uttermost parts of the earth because when he was on the rooftop at Simon the Tanner's house, he kind of fussed with God. He said, I haven't ate anything that's unclean and you're telling me to go down there and deal with people uh, that, that eat unclean things and you know, and he was talking to him about the Gentiles, and he realized that, and he said, well, I know I can't deny this is of God, but he had never preached to the Gentiles until that point. And so the Lord was revealing to him, this is for every nation, tongue, kindred, people, everywhere, all, whosoever will, let him come. Let him drink of the waters of life freely. And so in Acts chapter 8, Philip the evangelist goes down to Samaria and starts a revival and starts preaching and the scripture says that uh, in Acts, or Acts 8 and 12, it says, but when they believed Philip, everybody say believed. 
You know, there's a lot of folks in this world that says only if you believe on the name Jesus Christ. That's all it takes to be saved. Well, these people believed, but I want you to notice what they did when they believed. It's important what you do when you believe. Because if you really believe something, you'll do something. I said if you really believe something, it is underscored with action. You can say, oh, I believe that there is a danger coming. And you just sit there. You, you don't make any moves or you don't do anything. I, I, I believe we live in a dangerous neighborhood, but you don't lock the door. You don't really believe that. I, I believe that this, that's, and whatever, and you don't do anything, you really don't believe it. But because they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and, everybody say the name of Jesus Christ, the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Nobody was excluded. Everybody had to be baptized, in other words. In Acts eight sixteen, same story, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise the Lord. Only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus And then on in that story, he called for the other apostles, Simon Peter, to come down there and help. And it was actually them that baptized and them that saw those folks receive the Holy Ghost. And they that dealt with Simon the sorcerer. But the story is is kind of a dramatic story in the fact that Philip is directed by the Lord and he is caught up and moved to this place in the desert called Gaza and comes in contact with this Ethiopian man who is searching the scriptures. And I'll tell you how some people's minds work. I was preaching this one time uh, quite a few miles south of here and uh, I I, I preached about uh, how that he went to the desert that was south and whatever, I was reading that scripture there in Acts chapter 8. And uh, there was one fella, he kind of wanted to transfer to the church that was just south of there. And he took that as a sign from God. When he read that scripture, Pastor, I knew it was time for me to pack up, move, and go to the church that was just south. You know, I'm doubtful that's the way that God speaks. And I doubt he's going to circumvent the pastor to talk to you about that. And uh, so anyway, you know, people can make and twist up Scripture about any way they want to make up and twist up Scripture and interpret it any way they want to interpret it. But there's a correct way. It's not for private interpretation, the Bible says. And so uh, in this passage, uh, we learn something in his interaction with the Ethiopian as he's preaching to him Jesus. The Bible says they must have been journeying along and they come by a certain body of water. And he said, see here is water. What doth hinder thee from being baptized? In other words, that tells me one thing emphatically is that baptism doesn't need to be procrastinated. Baptism isn't something you need to put off. It isn't something you need to say, well, you know what? If I still feel the same way about it a month from now, you know, uh, that was particularly important back years ago before we had heated baptistries. 
it was not real comfortable sometimes to get baptized. And in some of the places where people got baptized, it was not even real safe sometimes to get baptized. I hear a story about Brother Bean baptizing. Uh, maybe it was Brother C.P. Kilgore. was one of the two baptized in a certain area. And there was a lot of snakes. It was in a stock pond. There was a lot of snakes there. Now, you know, it takes a good bit of faith to go out there after church at night in a snaky pond and get baptized. But they said he went down and prayed. I think it was Brother Kilgore went down and prayed about the situation. And they said one farmer that owned that property said to this day I've not seen. This used to be infested, they say, with snakes. But to this day I have not seen a snake. Now, I don't know, and I don't know how all that works. But I'm just telling you, if we can believe God for one thing, we can believe him for a miracle in other areas. When somebody needs to get baptized in Jesus' name, it's critical enough to pray prayers like that. And people got baptized in creeks, and sometimes it was spring creeks, and and uh, it was cold, and sometimes snow was flying. Many times you've seen the old pictures of them where they'd pull up their old cars and they'd shine the lights out over the water. And I've seen them overseas being baptized in rivers where the current was up, and they were they had some kind of rope tied across the river so that people could hold on to it so they didn't float away. I also have seen and, and have been part of this, baptizing in the ocean in Hawaii. And, you know, you go out so far, but that when that wave comes in, it makes it a whole lot deeper. So you just get ready. And uh, when, when the wave comes, that's when you call on the name of the Lord. And uh, they're totally immersed in baptism. The main thing is, is you've got to be immersed. You've got to be buried in baptism. Now, we know that this is a type, and I could show you many scriptures where this being baptized in Jesus' name is, is a type of the burial of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is repentance, is his death, burial is baptism, and resurrection is the Holy Ghost. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ, correct? We have an understanding of that. And so... When you bury someone, as you've heard many times, you thoroughly bury them. You don't leave a portion of them out. And I know that there's a lot of people who says, well, this is just, a, this is just a, a little symbolic thing that we do or whatever. Well, if you're not going to take anything literal, why read the Bible at all? Why, in fact, are we here tonight if we don't take anything literal? If we're not obedient to it, then we... You, you start down that line of reasoning. If you don't take anything serious, it's hard to get any real firm foundation to stand on. You have no premise if you don't take this thing serious. Can you say praise the Lord? And so I, I tell people when we get in the baptistry back here, we're going to totally put you under the water in the name of Jesus. But, but I, I've got a hold of you. It's going to be all right. And, uh, but we're going to put you under in Jesus' name because that's what the Bible says. Somebody said, why is that so important? Why not sprinkle a little water on them? Why not whatever? Uh, why is immersion so important? Well, Acts 8 and 38 says that when Philip and them saw the water, and he said, what doth hinder thee from being baptized? And he agreed to be baptized. The Bible says they went down both into the water. Now, if it was, if he just needed a little bit to sprinkle him, he didn't need to go down into the water. If he just needed a little bit 
to get a little bit wet, then he didn't need, why does it say that? And it also tells us in the book, uh, or in one of the Gospels, it tells us that John, when he baptized, in the place where he baptized, he baptized there because there was much water in that place. So immersion is important. Moving on, moving on. Bible tells us that when Simon Peter went to Cornelius' house and he preached to him, this was a good man. This was a praying man. I believe it was his goodness and his prayers and his giving and all of that that got the attention of God, so God revealed to him the entirety of the truth. If a person is earnest to find the truth, I believe God is going to lead them to the truth. There's honest-hearted people that are out there, and if they're searching and they're hungry, if we'll be sensitive, and if they'll continue to hunger after God, the Bible says, blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. If you can have that hunger, and it's not, a, it's not adulterated, it's not, it's not something that's disingenuous, but it's from your heart, God is going to reveal and bring and draw people to the truth. I believe that with all of my heart. Hallelujah. And that's what happened in the case of Cornelius. And the Bible says that while Peter was preaching some things to him, he got the Holy Ghost. And those others that were with him, all Gentiles, they got the Holy Ghost. And Peter looked at the guys that were with him and said, we can't forbid them water. He said, they got the Holy Ghost just like we did, for we heard them speaking in tongues. And they baptized them in the name of the Lord, the Bible said. Verse 5, and said, when they heard this, they baptized them in the name of the Lord Jesus. There's not one place in this Bible where anybody was baptized in the titles, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. They're all baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. Excuse me, I have the wrong scripture there. I was talking from Acts 19. The Bible says that when Paul ran upon John's disciples in Acts chapter 19, that's, that's where verse 5, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord. Paul is speaking to them, and he is preaching to them. Have you received, he asked them a question. He said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? And they said, we haven't even heard it. Now, I don't know what these guys or what excuse they have. They don't have much of an excuse of not being able to figure out after all this time period has lapsed about the Holy Ghost, they're still stuck back there. I mean, they don't even know or really are not connected to the ministry of Jesus Christ who John preached about. He said, don't look at me. Look at the one that has come after me who is mightier than I. They're still stuck back there on John the Baptist and his baptism. And he explained to them that was good for them, but that's not what we're living in now. We're living under a new covenant. We're living in a new time. You need to get baptized in Jesus name you don't hold on to the traditions that you were taught back there you get what is preached and believed by instructed to his apostles that we're preaching he gave to us the message that he gave to us to preach and pass on to you and they when they heard this they didn't balk they didn't debate they didn't say well you know I had a I had a friend that was also baptized in John's baptism. I had a grandpa that was also baptized under John's baptism. My grandma and I had my daddy and mama and, and all them, you know. They were baptized under John's baptism. So I think, you know, you know, God, he, he's not a judge. He, he, he's not going to judge me for this. Well, you didn't read your Bible, did you? 
Because the Bible says we're going to be held in account, and it said work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This is a serious deal that we're talking about. And you need to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were rebaptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They realized at that moment that John's baptism was not good enough. Let's talk about what happens to us, and I'm going to conclude with this. What happens when we take on the name? The Bible says that there's a sonship that takes place when we take on the name of Jesus. John addressed this in John chapter 1. I want to read that beginning in verse 11. It says, He came into his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become, what? The sons of God. Even to them that believe on what? His name. Which are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Talking about a spiritual birth. So we understand that we can become, through the new birth, sons of God. Children of God, in other words. How many is thankful that you're a child of God? Amen. And then Paul addressed this very thing. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26, he said, For ye are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. In verse 27, he goes on to say in the same chapter, chapter 3 of the book of Galatians, he says, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You put on Christ. You've taken on this name. You've taken on all that is encompassed in that name. You're a child of God. You, you have that name upon you. As a child, there are certain things that are passed on. From their father, right? There's certain, certain when 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 there's a need for someone to exercise any kind of decision making or authority, they want to talk to the sons and the daughters, right, of of family members. I want to know who who's this man's son. I don't want to talk to a second cousin, a third cousin. I want to talk to somebody like that. I want to talk to his children. I want to know who his children are, because decisions have to be made. There's authority with being a son or a daughter. And there's an authority that comes with our sonship in Jesus Christ. When we take on his name, the Bible said we put on Christ. Amen. A new nature. We have a new name, the Bible says. Amen. I'm so thankful that I can pray and have authority when I pray, when I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, because I've been baptized in that name. When I worship in that name, I worship with the understanding of who I'm worshiping. I'm not just worshiping Jehovah Junior. I'm worshiping that one that redeemed me, that one that saves, that one that washes away sin, that one that remits sin, that one that cleanses us from all sin, the Bible said. Why don't you stand with me right now and let's lift up our hands and let's give thanks to the name of the Lord Jesus and the revelation that comes to us through the name of the Lord Jesus. Praise God. I thank you for the power, the authority, the help, the strength that comes in the name of the Lord.
Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to tell you, baptism is not just a, it's not just a tradition. It's not just a customary thing that goes on in an apostolic church. But baptism is a big deal in an apostolic church. Now I understand that I, and I do not believe that a person is saved until they first repent of their sins and are baptized in Jesus' name and are filled with the Holy Ghost. Let's understand that. But what is wrong with us celebrating people's baptism as much as we celebrate them receiving the Holy Ghost? It's the question. I'm telling you, we're going to rejoice with everyone that receives the Holy Ghost. But sometimes people get the Holy Ghost before they're baptized. But we just assume that they got the Holy Ghost. They're going to be baptized in Jesus' name, right? Because the Bible says that when these disciples were baptized, that he commanded them, or when they got the Holy Ghost, he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. I'm going to tell you something. It's important that you realize and that you understand that baptism is a big deal in the eyes of the Lord. And we need to rejoice. They're not finished yet if they haven't gotten the Holy Ghost, but they're on their way, praise God. Because the Bible tells us it's a promise that they they can possess. It's a promise that they can have. It's not hard for anybody to get the Holy Ghost. Most of the time, it comes down to two things why people don't receive the Holy Ghost. First of all, they haven't fully repented. That's usually the biggest deal. They hadn't laid it all on the altar. When you lay it all on the altar, you know, and you fully die out, you're able to yield. You're able to surrender. But it does take faith in the Word of God and His promises. It takes faith in the Lord to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So when you've repented of your sins, that's why we encourage people to raise their hands and start worshiping God. Start praising the Lord because we believe what the Bible says, that He inhabits the praise of His people. He, he's going to come in where there's praise. Hallelujah. And you've cleaned that vessel out. And you've gotten your heart right with God. You've repented. Then He can come in. Praise the Lord. Amen. Probably better said was not that you got your heart cleaned out, but that you opened up your heart and had faith in the Lord that when you repented of your sin and made a decision that I'm not going back to that, I'm turning my back, in fact, on sin, then He was able to forgive you and cleanse you of it. Praise the Lord. And that you could receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's easy. We're the ones that make it hard. Praise the Lord. Repenting and dying out to who we were and saying, God, I want to take on your identity. I want to take on your characteristics. I want to take and put on Christ. Amen. That's what we got to do. There's power in the name of Jesus. Praise the Lord. You put on that name. I believe with all of my heart there's a distinguishing characteristic between those that just, you know, profess and say, 
well, I, I believe all that, but I hadn't done it. Or, or I, I, I say and I believe that I'm a Christian or whatever. I'm a believer. But have you obeyed? You're really a ob- believer when you obey what the Bible says. When you obey Acts 2.38, that proves you're a believer. Hallelujah. Praise God. I'm preaching to the choir now. Let's clap our hands to the Lord. Tell me, why is this important? Because this has to do with your salvation, friend. That's why it's important. God bless you tonight. Thank you for being attentive to the Word of God. Hope maybe I've helped somebody. Maybe, you know, why is this had to be reinforced sometimes or talked about? I'll tell you why. Because we need to be witnessing to people about these very things. And you need to be able to go to these verses of Scripture yourself. And there's many more. I'm just touching the surface. Like one fellow said, I'm just skipping on the top. There's a lot more that you can see and understand in the Word of God. God bless you tonight. Thank you for being here. Thank you for hearing.